you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 84. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. Each time one of us gets to choose something, mm. most of the time, 99% of the time, maybe except for one or two episodes, it's something the other person has not seen. less than 99% of the time then, like percentage-wise. <laughs> Would you? No. <laughs> So some, so most you, of the time, either one of us has seen the film, um, but the other one has not. But this time, we've chosen, just like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, we've chosen. I've chosen. You've chosen. Dave chosen. I forfeited my usual choice to uh, blindside Ashley with some strange movie from my past. And uh, instead, I chose a strange movie from our collective, collective past. past. Th- our collective, pa- America's collective, the world's collective. So we're reviewing past. our collective past. No. So uh, <laughs> this movie, I should say, we've chosen. The you pi- chosen the piano. The piano. The 1993 film by Jane Campion, and um, I guess we'll find out what your experience with this movie is. But we we we've each seen this at some point many years ago. Yeah. And it. I, the occasion for this really is the Criterion release of the new 4K restoration. Um, it's beautiful. Of course, we have a Blu-ray player, so we can't play the 4K restoration, but we can watch it restored. Um, anyway, it's about 30 years since the film came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't seen it in maybe 20 years, 15 or 20 years. Yeah. And I don't know anything about your history with this movie, but I just thought we should talk about this one. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here, and I really wanted to like get reacquainted with it and see: does it still hold up? Does it still affect me? Is it still what I what I remembered it to be? Yeah. So I actually don't remember when I saw this film. I can't imagine that I saw it when it came out because I was the same age as Anna Paquin, <laughs> so I doubt that my parents would let me watch that. And so I do remember from that 1994 Academy Awards. That they had uh, uh, Anna Paquin and um, Kirsten Dunst on to like talk about the like you know young Hollywood sort of thing because they had both done pretty good performances in their films I believe Kirsten Dunst was in Interview with the Vampire so I remember being and my 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 parents were like look those people are your age but. I probably they were like, but you can't see either of the movies that they're in. So, <laughs> um, but I must have seen it at some point. And it must have been in high school. So, um, my good friend Zach, um, who is just a fantastic, he has this very natural, intuitive piano playing that he does. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to be really good friends my last year of high school. And, like, we would do this thing where he would, we would sneak into Texas Tech University. This is related, I promise. <laughs> um, where they had practice rooms with grand pianos in them. And he would sit down at the grand piano. And um, was he was a giant fan of the score of the piano by Michael Nyman. And so he would play... Like he knew all of the the main theme from the piano, da, mm-hmm. da, 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 that. So I would lay under the grand piano and listen to him play, and then sometimes he would sort of riff on it too because it's a very, um, 
I don't know. It's it's easy to I don't know if I have the musical language to talk about it, but it's very easy to sort of riff on and go in different directions. And because it's very, you know, based on chords sounds, and scales and it, it sounds like a traditional Scottish folk song, yeah. but one that never existed, but could have existed. So it's uh, I just remember that and I would just like close my eyes and like. Um, like enjoy the feeling of like being young and feeling feelings and all of that it was all very, you know, I don't know. It was, it was very meaningful to me in my life. And I'm glad that I got to share that. Zach is still, I mean, like we don't talk like we used to cause it's been years and years, but I mean, like to me, he's like one of those people that um, like you just have a, like a connection with, in your life, you know, and like, we just sort of like came together organically in a time that we needed each other and then came. So that's, so I probably watched the piano with him, I would guess, is the first time I saw it because it just doesn't. You're like, tell me, where does this haunting melody come from? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, and then he, he wrote this beautiful piece that, that he just kind of like figured out that was similar in a way like all the notes that Michael Nyman uses it's a very note heavy mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess like it just constantly um so he wrote a very beautiful piece that was like reminiscent of it but also different and lovely and reminded you of the ocean and and all sorts of things like that so that is my sort of experience with the film I I don't think I probably connected with the themes of you know, control and, um, you know, the terribleness of like colonialism and misogyny and, and all the other stuff that's there. Well, do you think you only saw it the one time? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I oh, so you haven't once. seen it like since you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah. It's been okay. 30 years. So, <laughs> so I saw the movie after um, film school. My film school years in UC San Diego. So I was already acquainted with. Jane Campion, I had probably only seen, she'd only made two other films, I think, at that point. And the one I'd seen was An Angel at My Table, um, which I've always thought of doing for this show. But here we are doing this instead, so maybe we'll have to wait a while. (laughs) Um, But uh, that was a really powerful film about Janet Frame, the writer. Another great film by a woman about a, a, a woman in repressed in society. This one has to do with mental illness and her trying to find her voice as a writer and all of these things. Um, but so 1993 rolls around and that's just after college for me. It's during my time when I'm living in London and I'm like deep into like film art and wanting to see everything that's out there going to the cinema, you know, three, four times a week, probably while I'm in <laughs> London doing my internships. And, uh, uh, I, I remember first of all, well, I, I wanted to see it because it was another Jane Campion film and it was her follow-up. Um, but I remember the trailer and I remember in, in London in the nineties, in the early nineties, and maybe it's still the same way is if you go to the movies often, you would see the same trailers and the same, like, ads over and over and over and over and i mean this was before united states cinemas started doing you know just ads like regular ads for products and stuff like we do now video games and whatever britain did that then so you'd see the same travel ad and the same beer ads and stuff like that but the same this haunting trailer for the piano (laughs) i remember but i saw it and was immediately just like under its spell 
you know, straight through the movie and then couldn't put it out of my head. And it was the music and the images and the mood and this world it creates and this um, this woman's repressed life and the silent, her, you know, her muteness and the only way she can communicate is through the piano. And uh, just like I left my head full of images and mood and sound and song and I saw it at least one more time while it was still in the theater. You know, maybe I waited a week or two yeah. and went back to see it again. And this time I dragged a girl that I was kind of seeing at the time to it. And I think she thought it was fine, but she didn't really connect to You know, it's like maybe not a date movie or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but for me, it was like this is the most amazing thing. I've probably one of the best films of 93, although that was a really good year, as yeah. I recall. For, I know we've already done The Remains of the Day. This is a better film for me, but... Um, a lot of good stuff came out that year. So I know I've seen it again, probably three or four times. I've probably seen it a total of five times before we just watched it, but not for a good 15 or 20 years. So here it is 30 years after seeing it for the first time. And, um, do I connect with it? Yes. Do I still think it's a masterpiece? I do. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to talk about, and I'm excited to talk about it with you, especially if this is almost kind of like your first viewing as an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I would have been in high school. With all that you, everything that you bring with you now at this point in your life and, and knowledge of art and cinema and and just who you are. Yeah. Should we say something about what the movie's about? You want to yeah. give us a line or two? So it's it's funny because it's like when you're watching the film, you don't necessarily pick up on all of the sort of what is actually happening, which is fine. But uh, when I was watching, I didn't realize that she's she's from Scotland. So yes. Ada is a woman, maybe in her late 20s, early 30s, who her father has sold her off um, to marry a guy who is like colonizing New Zealand. Um, <laughs> he's just a guy in the, he's some landowner in the bush yeah um, so it's it's weird like uh, but the, I assume the reason she's in this position is that she has a nine year old daughter who we don't know where she came from the The daughter comes up with all, all sorts of like great incredible stories about her origin but we never actually find out what where Flora came from the other thing that we know about Ada is that she's a selective selective mute. She doesn't speak, and not because she can't speak, but because she chose to stop speaking at the age of six. And that's sort of the frame story is that um, her father, um, you know, said that, like, you know, if you, if you took it in your mind to not take another breath, you would just die, you know, because her will is so strong that she, she would just... So I guess that would be another reason why he sold her off because he didn't want to deal with. <laughs> um, and Ada expresses herself through her piano playing. Um, she also she does have sign language. She speaks she via sign language with um, her daughter, 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 daughter Flora is what Flora, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Which I didn't catch the name in the movie. I had to look. It yeah. Up. Um, played by Anna Paquin, Paquin, who won Best Supporting Actress. Yes. At the Academy Awards. Youngest ever, I believe. Second youngest ever. Second I think, youngest. Uh, ever. Um, Tatum O'Neill. Oh, been for younger. Paper Moon. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I'm guessing. They're around the same is. age, though, I guess. 
I've seen Paper Moon a bunch. Second youngest is what I just read. Okay. So I'm not just... I'm not just <laughs> no, making not it just up. Making In it addition up. to making it up, I'm also citing it from... Uh, so, and Flora is a very spirited child who is sort of jealous of her mom's... It's it's actually a really great performance by a child actor. Totally deserves a, a supporting actress nod. It's it's very... It's She's just very interesting. It's a more complex role than we usually see children in films. So it's... Um, and and you get to see all the, um, you know, infuriating and and lovely and terrible and wonderful things about having a being a child and and you know. Well, she's precocious, <laughs> and as you said, spirited, and fiercely intelligent. Yeah, and she does have this important role, like she depends on this, I think, of being her mother's interpreter with the yeah. world, which actually, I think, also allows her, gives her leave or permission, <laughs> I think, to say shockingly rude and things when she's translating something that her mom has said, yeah. but she gets to voice it saying, <laughs> she says, you yeah. know. And so they arrive um, on the coast of New Zealand with a bunch of trunks and a piano in a giant box. And um, that's the first time, well, first of all, her new husband is late <laughs> to pick them up. They have to spend a night on the beach. <laughs> and um, this is not a beautiful tropical beach. This is a torrentially violent. Uh, yeah, stormy. Stormy swept. Uh, <laughs> it's my kind of beach, yeah, really. <laughs> violent, tumultuous waves, rain. Um, trying to, they have some kind of little makeshift tent that they managed. Yeah, she made out of her petticoats. Yeah, that she, that, yeah that's her what it is. Skirt. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they even have to go uh, save and collect some of the the crates and uh, baggage. Oh yeah, because they put them too close to the. Yeah. So. So um, and you know this will come up because I feel like it's it's an important thing to discuss. I mean, and, and I'm probably not going to discuss it very, but like along with her husband comes, he has Maori workers that work for him and, you know, they're doing the work of hauling all this stuff back <clears throat> to the house. He decides he doesn't want to take the trouble of hauling the piano through the, through the rainforest it, to his weird settlement they have somewhere out in the jungle in it's mountainous New Zealand. Mountainous jungle somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful fern forest. It reminds me when I, um, when mom and I went to Hawaii um, three or four years ago, we stayed up in a fern forest like that. It was gorgeous. <laughs> I know what you're saying, but yeah. in the movie it's not presented as beautiful. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's like, supposed to, it's, it's supposed to be like the wild. Wild and oppressive and dark and muddy and yeah. Uh, and it's supposed it's to be such a It's inconvenient compared to yeah. Europe, as if there's no mud in... Yeah. Like, if if at the time everything in Europe wasn't completely covered in mud, because it was. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that you're supposed to... She's left society yeah. to live in the jungle, yeah, basically. Yeah. So, and, you know, um, she's really upset about her piano being left behind on the beach. She convinces... Um, Baines. Baines, who is, I'm not clear what his relationship is with her new husband. Like, he does work neighbor, for him sometimes. He's a neighboring landowner. He's just yeah. another person on the frontier. He another... helps him out with the, because Baines has sort of adopted some of the, some Maori living 
I customs think, and I stuff think he like speaks that. Maori, so yeah. he also kind of translates and arranges uh, propositions between them. He's kind yeah. of an intermediary, but he's also, I think, just another Separate colonist land landowner. Owner. So apparently, I read somewhere that he was a, a former like whaling captain or something like that, which is yeah. totally like an 1840s job to have. You yeah. know, <laughs> <I saw that laughs> we don't too. have that I, anymore. I, <laughs> Hopefully, not as much. <laughs> um. So it is a whole, like, world that he's created. So it's... And you get the idea that there's a new nearby, like, settlement with, like, a church or something like there's that. A there's, like, a, a little... School. There's a village with other uh, Europeans. It's... I don't know. Scots it's, and English. It's hard to get an idea of where you are in the world and how it relates to other parts of society. And, and I mean, like, I feel like... Which I guess maybe is intentional. They want you to feel unmoored. I think we just feel like... unmoored and unsettled like Ada does. Yeah. And think about like these pockets, what these these separate slices we see of different places. That's yeah. what she experiences. Yeah. She's got the jungle, she's got the mud, Baines's cabin and yeah. this village. You know, and the, the then village is a school. Her cabin and, that she lives in with yeah. um so, I mean, like, she doesn't connect very strongly with her husband. Um, they have this, like, terrible scene when she first gets there where she has to, like... It's not even a real wedding dress. She puts on, like, a tie-on wedding dress or something like that. And then they go in the rain, in the middle of the rain, to go have their picture taken. Yeah, you know those dreary 19th century <laughs> photos you see posed with people holding the, the position yeah. with grim looks on the, This one's taken in the rain outside in the natural light in a torrential downpour. And, uh, yeah, so maybe that's why so many people look miserable in those pictures. Yeah, sit for, well, you do have to sit for, like, a while, too. It's, like, eight minutes or something like that, depending on the light available, so. But we have to indicate something about the, 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 the main story here, which is that the husband won't bring the piano. She makes an arrangement with Baines to bring the piano back to the house, um, or no. No, she no, just she, she just asked him to take her to, to take, the That's right. So they have this beautiful scene on the beach where he's sort of walking around and she plays for a few hours before they head back to the thing. So I think that is the incident that makes Baines be like, okay. He tells what is her husband's name? I don't even remember. Alistair Stewart. I just think Alistair of him as Stewart. Stewart. They never say he's Alistair. So just Mr. Stewart. Baines offers Stewart some amount of land that he owns in exchange for the piano. And it is appalled because the piano is her, her only property. Yeah. It's like belongs to her. So um they make an agreement where Ada is going to teach Baines to play the piano. Of course, Baines does not want to learn to play the piano. He just wants to hear her play the piano for him, amongst other things. So, <laughs> Yeah, but as you say, the turning point is when he takes them, her and her daughter Flora down to the beach to visit the piano. They're ecstatically happy, and Ada plays her theme, her song, that, that <laughs> one that she's always playing, that haunting Scottish... Yeah. <laughs> Folk song. <laughs> and um, that's that's Baines hearing really the music of her soul, yeah. I think. And that's what alights his attraction and fascination with her. Yeah. And so really he's arranged for to want to be in the presence of her, to be with her. He falls for her. He's attracted to her. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Shall we talk about the arrangement? Yes. <laughs> I'll let you do it's that. A, it's a very, so it's a very strange relationship that they develop. It's, um, he, she comes to play to, to give him a lesson for the first time. And, um, like after they send the daughter Flora out to play, um, she starts playing and he immediately like tries to kiss her neck, like right away. <laughs> like there's not really any, like he just, and so she's like appalled and like, get off me and leave me alone. Um, and so he offers her, um, a proposition, a proposition, which is, I will give you, you can earn back your piano. I will give it back to you. Key by key. Key by key. Um, if you let me do these, you play these weird and things. And I will that do I wa- things. Yeah, I will do. I things. want to do things while you play. So you know, she actually immediately renegotiates that to be just for the just the black keys is all that she has right. to earn to earn the piano back. Yeah, which is a first good move. Yeah, if she's going to enter into this weird <laughs> coercive proposition. Um. So I mean, she agrees, and like, I mean, like she goes for lessons every day, and like. Each time he sort of like ups the ante. So like the first time, um, he just wants her to like take off her bodice or something like that. So he that. can see her arms. Yeah, and then the next time he wants to like her to lift up her skirt and for him to lay under the piano and see her socks. Meanwhile, Flora, her little girl, is is made to it accompanies her yeah. every day and is made to stay outside and play with the, the three legged dog. <laughs> And cannot come in and doesn't know what's going on other than she can, she can hear her mother playing the piano. Yeah. So I think she, you know, intuits that something is going on. You know, we, we have several scenes of sort of her looking in and starting to see different sort of inappropriate things happening, you know. Um, like, eventually it gets to the point where he asks Ada to... Um, you know, take off all her clothes and lay naked with him. So that's sort of the, the like, the big thing. Like, I think she trades, like, ten keys for that yeah, or something so like that. Yeah, so one thing that she's able to do is every time he ups the ante and wants to do something much, much more, Yeah, she bargains to buy back more, more keys. keys. Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a five-key exchange maybe for the taking off the bodice or going yeah. under the piano. I can't remember yeah. which. Um, interestingly, the one where he's under the piano, is that the one where there's that hole in her stocking? Yeah. And he also works his finger in and kind of caresses her pale skin through the the stocking (laughs) while she plays. Um, most, throughout most of this, she seems repulsed and not into, into it at all. This is, uh, this is, well, I mean... Is it an assault? I mean, what do you want to call this? It's coercion. Yeah. It's coercion. And yet. I mean, he's, I mean, to an extent, he's respectful of her boundaries, I guess. I mean, not really, but. So uh... there's a, it's really difficult to talk about the the transaction here because it feels more like a transaction that she's in some way complicit in because of the way that she, she, she uses it and, and maintains some con- some degree of control over it. Well, it's an illusion of control, but you know. Yeah. 
Only because it seems like our man Baines has some semblance of a moral code, although not a very strong one, so. <laughs> one thing I think, one thing I think about Baines is that I think what, I think what attracts him to her isn't what he thinks it is. Yeah. I think he's actually interested in her, the, like I said, this kind of cheesy line about the music of her soul. Like he's, it's the passion that it's the way she communicates through the piano that he hears on the beach. He's drawn to her spirit and he's drawn to her as a woman. And I think that he mistakes that as a, as just a sexual attraction. Yeah. Or at least that's the only way he knows to, yeah, to express this or, but there comes a point where he realizes that's not, this isn't actually what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. When I think it's after when she lays naked with him for a while, which is also when, um, when unfortunately her daughter like peeks in and sees that happening. And so she becomes aware of this sort of very inappropriate relationship that's happening between her mother and this guy. Um, but at that point, like the next time she comes, he's like, we can't do this anymore because I feel like this is, you know, it's making me crazy. And it's like, he making, says, I'm it's turning making a horror out. I'm of turning you. you into a horror and making myself wretched. Yeah. So, um, because like, yeah. And he says that I think at that he time, says, I want you to I care about me. You, I don't want, I don't, I don't want just, he wants is, you to, he, I want you to feel something for me. I want you to care about yeah. me. So that's when she sort of, and he sends the piano over and then like, it's funny. Cause like at that point, like her husband becomes aware, sort of aware of what's going on. Cause he sends the piano back and, his main concern is like, what about the land that you gave me? Do yeah. I still get to keep the land? <laughs> so <laughs> this dude, which I guess we can get to in a little bit. Um, anyway, I, I mean, I feel like we've done enough of a synopsis to sort of get an idea. But at, at this point, he's sort of his suspicion is sort of awakened. Um, he starts trying to sort of assert his control over his new wife in a way that he really hasn't before. Um which ultimately ends in some very dramatic things. I don't know if we want to spoil that or not, but. So what is it? What I'm trying to remember is what exactly is the, what's the transition point for Ada? What is the point where she goes back to him? Is it after the piano is sold, is given back? Yeah, it's after she gets it back. There's no reason for her to go back, but she realizes she wants to go back. She, I think like, there's a scene where her husband is asking her to play for him. I love and that she scene. She doesn't want to play for him, so she asks uh, uh, Flora to do to to play instead. One of and, the times, yeah, and he's like super frustrated because she just like wanders around the house and uh, and out in the yard with sort of like this frustrated look on her face, like she's clearly dissatisfied about something, but. I mean, I don't think she knows what she's dissatisfied about, but he definitely doesn't know what she's dissatisfied about. One of the times he wants her to play for him, she won't play the music of her soul. She won't play her piece. She plays some shitty, mechanical, like, awful, like, terrible dance song really loudly and mechanically. Yeah. Like, just like, (laughs) fuck you. This is what you're getting out of me. You can't hear my actual music. 
It's not for your years. Yeah. So she, I, I don't know. And see, that's the thing that I have a difficulty with in this is that that she does willingly go back to Baines and like says that, you know, they have sex and, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, cause, cause, cause we're, I mean, like she doesn't ever say anything. Well, she doesn't, she can't. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, um, she, well, she could, <laughs> she could, but, uh, she never does. But yeah, I'm, that is the part that I, I have, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe because he has, he respected their bargain and, you know, because he was emotionally upfront with her and not seeking to control think, everything. I don't know. I don't know. I think in the end, his passion and his love, what's yeah. there standing at the end of this weird awkward transgressive strange arrangement <laughs> yeah. is there's something more there like he yeah. actually feels something for her or she believes that he does yeah and it's something she's not going to get from her husband and it's and it's a passion that yeah. she'll never have in this restrictive environment and with this man who basically owns her as property yeah and um ultimately in some way she falls in love with him yeah when I think she realizes that he has true feeling for her or he comes to feel true feeling for her, even though it may not have started out that way, she feels something for him. And maybe it's just, he awakens something, some, the ability for her to, (laughs) to feel attractive and have sexual passion. And I don't know, but, she goes back and they sleep together and of course her husband follows her back. And what I didn't remember, I was thinking when he, so he, he follows them yeah, and catches them in the act through a knot hole in the wood. Yeah, like, like Anna what, Paquin did. Yeah. I mean, like Flora did. And I was expecting, cause I didn't remember the film. It was interesting what I didn't remember about yeah. the movie. It's like, I remembered like, images and i remembered a few major points but i didn't remember that he doesn't confront them at that point no he doesn't he just watches he yeah. creepily watches he watches through the hole in the wall i think he goes under the floorboards yeah, or he something goes under the house yeah, he's there weird. he watches the whole thing and he doesn't confront her about that no he's okay this dude is I mean, like he's let's like, talk he's about a serious, uh, like, piece he's, of work. He's played by Sam Neill. Yeah, who is really good in his. And role we didn't as, mention Harvey Keitel. As a real piece of work, Harvey Keitel plays what? Baines. Yeah, <laughs> who is naked because that's what Harvey Keitel. Har- in the early nineties, Harvey Keitel was full frontal naked in every movie. Yeah, so not so. just his own movies. He was just no. He was naked in every movie. No, he was naked in the Bad Lieutenant and this. That's what I specifically remember. There may be more. Okay, well those. That, well, those those are the two that um, we used to make the jokes about. Anyway, so, so I mean, like, this character is, I mean, like, I don't know. Jane Campion says that her work is not political, but to me, this guy is, like, the symbolism. Like, he is the symbol of, like, insecure, masculine, misogynistic, colonialist, capitalist. I mean, like... Like, he's literally, like, trying to buy all this 
Maori land. And, and like, we didn't, like, in the movie, it's not clear what he's using it for. He doesn't have cows. He doesn't grow crops. Like, he just wants land. And, like, all he's doing is building a fence around it. But, like, there's these scenes where he's interacting with, like, the Maori tribal leaders where he's trying to, like, buy back land. Or buy, not buy back land, buy land from them that, like, has, like, their sacred burial grounds on it. And, like, he's like, I don't understand, um, you know, why they want to keep it so bad. You know, they're not doing anything with it. But I'm not clear on what he's doing with his, like, like growing amount of New Zealand that... It's not clear what he's going to do with it. I feel like maybe he's like a land speculator or something. Like yeah. he's just going to buy up as much land as possible and then sell it off to other Europeans strange. or something. But I mean, like he just like, he's like the embodiment of like want. Like I want land. I want a woman. I want, I mean, like it's all this, like he's just this unending need for things and stuff and and things that he can possess. And it's like... It doesn't serve any purpose, like, that I can tell. Like, I mean, like, I don't, we don't even know where his money came from. Like. And <laughs> does he just want a woman for sex? Does he just want a wife? Yeah. Or does he, is, does he plan to have children or what? Yeah. I mean, he's, he buys her, basically. Yeah. He, she's a mail order from Scotland bride. Yeah. And she won't have anything to do with him. She no. sleeps with her daughter every night and rebuffs him every time he even puts his head in the door to try and say goodnight. Yeah. He slinks away. <laughs> so for a while, he's like the kind of nice guy yeah. who's fucking going to rape you when he finally oh, yeah. gets angry. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and it's funny because he doesn't even, like, like, it seems like he could try to, like, make himself more... I mean, like, try to get on her good side. Like, well, maybe in the first place, she could have brought her piano if she stated that that's the most important thing on the beach. Instead of bringing home all the housewares, maybe you could bring home her freaking piano. But, I mean, like, he never really seemed to spend any time, like, ingratiated. Like, he expected her to do that, you know? Like, it seems like maybe if you're bringing someone across, like, the entire world to come live with you, you might try to be nice to them when they come to your house. I don't know. And she's just a wife, like yeah. a trophy or something, because he has servants and, house, like, a housekeeper yeah. and a cook, I think. I mean, yeah. he has several servants. She's just expected to be there under his dominion yeah. and be his wife. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's very I, it's very weird. That character is very strange. To me, it's like hard to like divorce that from any sort of political statement about what colonialism means and how it's affected, you know, well, I mean, indigenous communities all over the world, you know. I mean, the politics is obviously there and she's yeah. put it there. I think she's saying that the impetus for the film isn't from that. It's yeah. there because it's the world she's created and the time she's telling about. But it's not like what actually yeah. drove her necessarily to tell the story. So, I, yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, like, it just, like, and his, like, need and want for things just, like, grows and grows and grows throughout the... And I think the moment for him that snaps is when he sees Baines with his, you know, this pro this thing that he owns. You know, somebody else had it, and it's not fair. 
So that's when he finally well, like does. I think he's trying. He, in his mind, he's he's given himself the explanation that she's asexual, that she's not interested in this, she's not capable of this. It, it's going to take a lot of time for her to warm up or whatever. Mm. And so when he sees her having sex with Baines, like that's the point where he starts to f- accost her, yeah. right? Like his reaction is not to confront her about this adulterous affair or whatever's going on with Baines, but he like accosts her in the jungle and tries to mm-hmm. force her like against a tree in the rain or something mm-hmm. like that and ends up slinking away. Yeah. Or she fights him off. I can't remember exactly how it's, it plays um, out. Uh, Flora comes in through the woods and that's, okay. they're interrupted is the only reason he stopped. Flora is quite a, an agent of chaos and disruption yeah. in, in the movie too. Well, I mean, and that scene is you know, really disturbing. There's these, like... I was reading about some of how the cinematographer, like, took the shots, which I think he, in some cases, like, tripled the... the um, It's the same slide, tripled. So it, it, it takes on this sort of slower look about it, you know. Huh. Um... Same thing with the with the scene later where. Um, Are you saying that like an individual frame is the like frame copied? is tripled like three or four times? So it for does it have a kind of a stroby slow effect? Or yeah, what does it it's look a like? slower. But I, I mean, like really it's particular. That. Like I remember it specifically. There's the scene where she's like grabbing onto the vines, mm-hmm. trying to, and he like yanks her off of the vines, and it it is a it's a much like slower. Um, mm-hmm. pace of things like thing like time is slowed down mm-hmm. um, and there's this like dramatic action that's that's taking place um, where she's trying to escape um, and um, so it's it's a very um, dramatic and upsetting scene and I think like people parallel it with the at the same time her piano is being um, messed with by some of the the Maori teens that come into the house and are kind of messing around with her piano mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, which I don't know, maybe a little bit awkward of a metaphor there, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean like the violence in the last like half of the film is pretty striking, you know? Um, and it's, 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 it's very intimate violence, you know? And, and, um, so there's a section where to prevent her wandering off to Baines, he boards up the house and keeps mm. her her and Flora captive inside the house mm. and forces her and to promise never to see Baines again. Yeah. And do you remember there's during this time she starts to come to him at night? Yeah. And Shh. and be somewhat affectionate and caress him, but on her terms. Yeah, so she, she doesn't want him to touch her, but she's touching him, which is another. I don't. I don't quite. Maybe just some. I think I thought I interpreted that as she's trying to give him something of what he wants in order for the boards to come down and for him to trust her again yeah. and to release her from prison, basically. But it's weird because he doesn't want that. He doesn't no. want what she can give him. He wants what he can take from her, you know. Well, I wonder if he's like impotent or something too, or there's yeah. some kind of like 
he doesn't seem to have much experience <laughs> yeah. with women. And there's like, there's a lot hanging on whether or not she will sleep with him and whether he will be a man. He, like, he, like, it's very presented that he feels like not less than a man. And like, yeah. like his servants and stuff are commenting about yeah. making fun of him. And, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so what, she, you know, she's, you know, it's, she's offering him intimacy, physical intimacy, but on her terms. And he's either uncomfortable with it, with the sort of emotional aspect I to it, think, or... I don't think it's actual intimacy that she's offering. I think yeah. it's transactional. And mm. I think that she's doing it to lower his defensive defenses and to trust her enough to yeah. lower the walls of the prison. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so, to me, one of the more interesting things about this is during this whole process, like, Flora has kind of, like, started to side with her, her stepfather in a weird way, like... Well, I think she She feels like, like... She's her mom lost is, her mom. Yeah. She's not her mom's only ally anymore. Yeah. She's... Her mom... She knows and senses and has even witnessed yeah. that her mom has a more intimate relationship with Mr. Baines. Yeah. And because she's a child, she, what, she's supposed to be nine years old or yeah. something, she reacts like a child would. Like, she's, you know, <laughs> has tantrums and is manipulative and does yeah. petty, awful things without thinking of the consequences. Yeah. And basically becomes a kind of tattletale yeah. with devastating, Constant. tragic... You know, violent effects. So, yeah, that's um, the scene where um, she's sort of like merrily skipping across the jungle to go tell her stepfather that, um, you know, her mom. Well, what she does is her mom has Baines is packing up to leave. He knows he can't have Ada. He's been prevented from that. It's over. He needs to remove himself from the situation. He's going to leave. He's going to go back to Scotland or whatever, or to Nelson, wherever. I don't know where he's going, probably to the city or something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and she knows, uh, Ada knows that he's leaving and she writes him a love note. She takes one of the white piano keys from her piano yeah. and writes, a, a, a dear George, you will always have my heart. Yeah. Love Ada. And, and wraps it, wraps it up with a bow and gives it to Flora to deliver to him. Yeah. And she absolutely refuses to do it. She won't do it. Ada has to kind of push her out of the house and you know sternly indicates that she needs to do it and what does flora do she takes it to her stepdad and um she did not think it would be proper yeah (laughs) to give to mr baines so i mean and and you know she as she does she didn't know the concept the consequences would be so terrible for the action that she took you know that she didn't know what was at stake which i mean like why would she understand the why dynamics would you know between that, adults, you know? <laughs> or why would she know that Bain, uh, Stewart, yeah, the husband, is capable of the violence, temp, the violence that he is? Yeah. She does give him the news when he's holding an axe. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably... Well, I mean, it's like axe and that. So they there's a scene um, where they're at some sort of like... What I thought was a church pageant, but it may have just been a school pageant. I think pageant. it's a school play. 
or, or something. Or something. Not even it's a like, play. well, I mean, like it's at the school. It's like a village. I just figured it was a church pageant until they got to the part where, because there was a part where like children were singing on stage with like angel wings. Wings. Yeah, so Flora's I thought it was. Um, but the second part of it is like a play about Blackbeard. Um, it's Bluebeard, isn't it? Bluebeard, I don't know. It's the pirates. one with the the pirates. The one with the heads, the wives. With so I don't know the story. So <laughs> don't um, look in Bluebeard. And there's a uh, scene like with an axe in that, which I think is sort of, you know foreshadowing of the of the axe that comes. Um, but the it's funny, sort of the action that that takes place, which ends up like sort of like after that happens, he you know, um, he kind of, like, washes his hands of her, you know, um, and she's sort of, like, free to leave. He's like, you know, Baines, take her, take her away from me, sort of, sort of thing. Okay, well, actually, here's a scene that, here's a scene and a beat in the story that I did not remember at all, but he tries to force himself on her again after, okay, he severs one of her fingers. Yeah. (laughs) She's recovering in bed, bandaged, and he tries to come oh, to her right. yeah. that night and take her again by force. But she gives him such a withering look yeah. that he backs away. And I believe it's the next day that he goes to Baines. Yeah. And he says, he asks Baines if he's ever heard Ada, if she's ever spoken to him yeah. loud. And Baines says, no, of course not, never. And he says, well, have you ever heard her thoughts? Yeah. And he tells him that I heard her voice in my head. Yeah. And she told me to free her and to give her to you and that 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 I will never have her and that she yeah. needs to and that to release her to you to take her away to the now whether or not she actually there's another yeah i mean whether or not she's actually telepathically <laughs> communicated to him he has accurately surmised yeah. what she was saying right yeah. so I, I mean this does have in some ways there is a very i mean we haven't really talked about the feel of the movie but it does feel kind of like a fable or something yeah. in a certain way and so like he comes to Baines absolutely convinced that she's communicated these thoughts to yeah. him. And that's, and he gives, he releases her. Yeah. He gives her to Baines for them to go off and leave this place forever. So the sort of the, the big final scene of this film is they're loading her stuff on the be- on to a canoe to take back to wherever they're going. I think Nelson was where they're going. Um, and she decides that she doesn't want her this piano anymore. You know, which, like, is understandable. Like, the, symbol, the symbols of, attached to this piano at this point are kind of unpleasant, and I would understand why you wouldn't want it anymore. But um, Baines is like, no, no, you should keep it. You should keep it. And, and so... Like, she has to really convince him that she doesn't want the piano anymore. So um, they're out on the ocean, and um, she's like, she finally convinces him. I mean, it's literally threatening to topple. Yeah, to topple the canoe. So um, um, she convinces him to push it overboard. And so there's a coil of rope attached to the uh, piano as they tip it off of the canoe. And she, I think, intentionally puts her foot in the middle of that coil of rope. She does. Um, at that point and gets dragged overboard by the rope as the piano sinks into the ocean. Um, 
And so this is like the thing that because of the way that the film ends, the last shot and the scene and the stuff that happens between, we don't, I mean, to me, it's unclear how this ended. Um, but like in, in the initial shot, she is pulled under the ocean. It looks like she may be drowning, but then at the last minute she decides that she wants to live. And there's a whole like thing where she's like, what a surprise. There's a short epilogue. Yeah. Um, what a surprise to, you know, to, to want to continue or something to that extent. And so she like frees her foot and then is rescued. But then the sort of like epilogue after that shows her back in sort of a European society, you know, where she's teaching piano and she's got Baines as her husband and she's learning to speak. But then there's this sort of like thing where she like sometimes at night when she's by herself, she thinks about herself like floating above the piano out in, and there's the scene of you know, sort of an ethereal figure tied to a piano at the bottom of the ocean. And then it closes on this poem about... So, like, so to me, that symbolizes that it's not clear what, what the decision was. When See, I don't take it that way. Yeah. I see what you're doing with it. Yeah. But I don't... I feel like the movie does have her change her mind, release her yeah. from self from the rope, swim to the top, and, and start a new life. And I think it's upfront about literally. Yeah. She sometimes thinks about the piano at the bottom of the sea and that she could be with it. Yeah. But I don't think it's doing like one of those like Twilight Zone kind of uh, things where she's actually dead and this is a fake epilogue. I mean, you can, I guess you could interpret I, it that way. I, I don't know because like to me, like, I, I mean, so like if you think about the choices that she made. I, it just doesn't make sense to me that necessarily she would choose this sort of like, I don't know. It seems like all her life she's been making these decisions that, you know, provide her with more freedom or, you know, subvert the expectations that are expected of women, you know, or, or whatever that is. And, and like, you know, whether she chose it at that moment or not, like the, in, in a society like that, the only freedom that she has is is, is in death, essentially, you know. That Except, she's still... like, whether, whatever we think of Baines and yeah. Harvey Keitel, she loves him and believes herself to love yeah. him. And so why would she not go off with her lover at the end? I So, I mean, like, that would re I mean, are require you... me to... To, I mean, and maybe that's the story that they're trying to tell. Maybe this is like a 19th century romance novel where she's rescued by love. But to me, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I buy that entirely. That that she loves him to the extent that this man who tried to control her in in a less controlly way than the other one, you know. I don't know. One, one, her heart. But she it. didn't let him control her. Ultimately, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we let ourselves be controlled. Um. <laughs> but she has agency in this movie. She goes back to him. She loves him. Like you're, you're, like you're saying that the character's not feeling what she's feeling, or that she's wrong, or that you don't 
interpret what the character's narrative experience is. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. If you don't, if you don't think the transition is there organically for her to actually I don't consider know. this man her lover and that she falls in love with him, that's, that's, yeah. there's something maybe wrong with the way that beat comes across in the movie. But I think that's what the story is giving us. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that may have been what's intended, but I don't know if it's necessarily how I would read it. I, I, I don't know. I think that, I mean, I feel like what, what is established is to this character, her freedom to make decisions is more important than any one man, any one experience, any one, you know, that and even like the act of deciding to get rid of her piano is like an expression of her no longer being tied to any one thing or any one being you yeah, know but in this time and place maybe her decisions are so limited that to be married to somebody who loves her is better than to be this other marriage yeah. that this is the better yeah, yeah. choice that, well that i mean and that's that, that's clear and that with this choice <laughs> She's learning to speak. She's trying to teach herself, like in this epilogue, she's she's teaching herself to speak. She's giving piano lessons. She has a, a home that's, you know, brightly lit and whatever, you know, it's like in civilization. Yeah, I, I don't... Is this just a game? Is this just like a wink from well, Jane isn't Campion? Society, isn't this whole society, like this thing that we're doing, isn't it all just like a game to like you know, provide us with some semblance of comfort in this, um, sort of okay, but savage like, what, what is the, <laughs> world that like, we live in. Other than know? rejecting the role of women in the 19th century. <laughs> yeah. So there is no possibility of, of a, an ending where she's at a, in a, in a better position of agency and, and strength in some way than when she's sold off as a piece of property to the, to, into the jungle. To... I don't know. So, I mean, well, okay, so this is a modern film looking back at the 19th century, you know, probably, and I haven't read enough about it, by someone who was educated in the sort of tradition that would have, you know, we would read a lot of, you know, 19th century, you know, um, Bronte and Austin and, and all of that stuff. So, so... I don't know. I, I just like, it's funny because I mean, like, I love those books. I love Jane Eyre. I love all of Jane Austen. I think what you're hitting up against is that the Baines <laughs> relationship is inherently problematic because of the way it starts. Yeah. And so it's difficult to understand or believe that she actually loves this man. Yeah. Or could come to love this man. And if she does, is she not just entering into some other kind of transactional I mean, agreement? If, it is like Is it Jane, just a lie she tells herself? It is like Jane Eyre. I mean, although in Jane Eyre you get to see more of the relationship developing than we get to see in this film. But, I mean, like, there is an element of the, like, Jane Eyre has to go out into the wilderness and see you know, all the terrible options that are out there before she can let herself 
you know, love this guy who has some problems. I mean, okay. like, Rochester so, has some problems, so. <laughs> <laughs> wherever this is, wherever this starts. Yeah. Like, I think we're supposed to see, or that, that Baines comes to a place where he adores her. Yeah. Where he loves her. Yeah. And surely that's better than just being the property of the guy who orders her from Scotland and is going to put her in a room and come every night hoping she'll sleep with him. Yeah, and that is better. I mean, like, I'm not denying that it's better. It's So... Is she served up a <laughs> shitty, like, like lot in life? Yes. yes. We're all women, probably, then? Well, I mean, but, yes. I mean and, but, like, compare that to, like, the, the Maori people who are also in this film. Yeah. Who are used as, as labor, who are watching their land being taken from them. For, like, Absolutely. in comparison well, being... to all that. And, like, you know, this woman who's, like, having this moderate hardship of, you know, having to deal with these shitty men, you know... You know, and not being able to play her piano when she wants to or, you know, whatever the... I mean, like, by comparison, the... I'm not saying that anybody's, you know... You know, that anybody has it, but, like... I I, I don't know. It's just... it's It seems like it would be difficult to... I don't know. I don't know, if, I don't know I, if something changed in me, but like there, there. I mean, like I very much believe in in love as a motivator, and that you know, it's it's power to transform people. I don't know about. I don't know how I feel about it in this in this particular context. I I don't. I don't. She know. chooses to go back to him. She yeah. enters into the relationship that they have. Well, on her own terms. To, she chooses to go have sex with him. And then later she does send him a piano key. And that's a risk in itself that she takes. On which she writes a note that she yeah. loves him. Yeah. And that he will always have her heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the character in the film. <laughs> yeah. And like, even if we disagree with her, I don't think you can say that. She's not feeling that. No, I... Or that you reject the fact that she could possibly think that. Well, but the thing is, is like... Okay, so she says that. She says all of those things. Or she she writes it. She she puts it on a... He doesn't take her by force. She yeah, goes to him. I know. She, she enters into a relationship with him and, well, and she when she wants to. she takes a piece of the thing that she loves more than anything in the world, her piano, and gives a piece of it to him. So there's that. But then... Like, this is completely counteracted by the part that, like, once she's free and once she has the life that she wants, she chooses, even for a moment, what depending on how you, you know, read the ending of the film, she chooses for a moment to purposefully mm -hmm. put herself in a thing where she's going to go down with this piano. And, like, the thing is, is he was, like, totally, I mean, like, he loves her. I mean, like, I'm not arguing that he, he loves her. But, like, in that moment, she chose to put herself in a situation where she would rather go down with that piano than go what to whatever, yeah, probably better yeah. life that, I mean, so, like, I mean, like, I guess, like, if you read it as, 
she didn't she did actually decide to live and to that her will wanted her to stay around for I mean I think her will is also telling yeah. her that her voice and her communication and her connection with other people like Baines is no longer dependent on the piano. Yeah. I mean the yeah. piano is a metaphor. The piano yeah. is a thing, right? Yeah. It's the way she communicates, the way she talks, the way she expresses herself. It's her soul. But when she gives that up, it's because she also has a way to live and express herself that isn't just through the piano anymore. Yeah. Because, I don't know, because she's found something with one other human being that is worth seeing yeah. if it leads to yeah. a better life or if there's light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah, maybe it is kind of a six of... Maybe it is... <laughs> quite a choice or quite a risk for her to not die with the piano. Maybe it is yeah. one of the bravest things she does in the movie is it's to not go to down with the piano. Yeah. Is to see what if I go on? Is Does this lead to a better place? Yeah. I don't know. I like that we're getting into the movie in this yeah. window. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of films that sort of... That finding satisfaction within yourself is more important. I mean, that's that's why I love um, Greta Gerwig's uh, adaptation of Little Women. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's why I cry every time I watch that because... Because it, like, is one of the first, like, depictions that I've seen of where, you know, like, a woman, like, her, her, her worth in the world and to herself is not based on relationships. It's based on, I mean, and that's not to say that relationships aren't vital and important and, but that the sort of wholeness of the self and the importance, like your importance lay, lies in in who you are and what you do and not who, well, who you love, you know. L- let me jump off this for a second because I don't think even the that epilogue that we glimpse says that Baines is the answer to my life. Yeah. The being married to Baines or the life with Baines, again, is a means for her, whatever, her, her yeah. the rest, like... What we're actually seeing is that she has a kind of livelihood of her own. She's starting to, she's giving piano lessons. Yeah. We see that she's wanting to learn to talk and to mm-hmm. use her voice. We These are things that are not dependent on Baines. Yeah. But but her connect, her, her being with Baines allows for whatever her self-actualization or for her to continue yeah. to develop as a person in the world on her own terms and to be things and to try things that she was never able to before. So I don't think it's saying, like, the man is the answer yeah. in quite the way that you want to reject yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that you, that you think doesn't ring true. Well, it's, it's hard. I mean, because, like, so, like, you, what look, if, you look at decisions that women made during this time period and that women of a certain level their entire interaction with men is transactional. Yeah. You know, 
like like the whole act of getting married the like her father sold her to this man it's like everything is transactional and that's like the problem with our society is when you treat people as only valuable for you know the labor that they can do for you or the you know pleasure that they can give to you or the things that they can do for you when instead of interacting with people as the people that they are then i mean then essentially the people who who have the ability to pay or not pay or force people to do the things they want them to do have all the control and power and like there's how how do we disrupt that you know and how can you trust someone to have a relationship like oh all i want is a relationship that's not transactional but you can't have that i mean like you can but i mean it's harder to have that when when ever when when everything is set up to be transactional like how can we trust that she loves Baines when everything in her world suggests her whole value is in her femininity and her ability to bear children and her ability to provide sex and pleasure. Um, you know, how can, how can we, how, and, and like the thing is, is I guess Stuart's character couldn't trust that. He couldn't trust her at all. Even when she was offering it of her own will, he couldn't trust that it wasn't transactional and it was transactional, yeah. you know, but but only when people have the ability to choose how they live their lives and how they, how they, you know, make their livings and, you know, the ability to actually make choices that aren't based on transactions. I mean, that's the only time that, that they're free. I mean, and, and, you know, in a sense, Ada's trapped in the same way that the Mari people are trapped there. And we're all trapped by this like terrible white centric colonialist right. awfulness, you know? Um, and you know, yeah. <laughs> but is Ada in this movie anything ever than strong-willed, stubborn, yeah. her own person, unwilling to give in? Yeah, determined to be herself on her own terms regardless of the shit that's thrown at her. I mean, she's a very strong character, yeah. I think. Yeah, she and, is. And, and I mean, like, the thing is, is that, that it's very clear that she would choose death. She's worth a dozen of Sam Neill. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. much stronger she than anybody in this film. over the complete loss of freedom, you know. But, but I guess, like, yeah, where, 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 she, where, does she, where is she willing to compromise on that? So... You know, where 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 is she willing to see what happens next, you know? Also, she is determined to maintain her core, her essence, no matter what situation she's in. Yeah. Which is why it's so important for her to have the piano. And when it's sold off to Baines in the beginning, that's a huge door closing for her. Yeah. But she finds a way to be Ada no matter yeah. what situation she's in. I don't know. I think she's a really strong yeah, character. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, agree. I think she's... Holly Hunter's amazing. Yeah, she is. She really is. I'm like, glad that um, the other actresses that they... I think, I think Sigourney Weaver was and up for And Jennifer it. Jason Lee as well, yeah. um, who I often get them confused. 
I don't. <laughs> to be honest. They're from but... <laughs> around the same time, but I don't get them confused. Um, I don't know. What an interesting choice. I remember yeah. what a strange choice Holly Hunter seemed at the time. She hadn't yeah. really done as dramatic a role as this at the time, I don't think, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm remembering her from broadcast news and raising Arizona or yeah. something like that. Like I know she had a, a, a lot of credits to her, but what great casting this was. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm having like, um, I, I think probably the first time I watched it, I would have sort of been swept up in the romance of of things, you know. I'm not swept up in the romance yeah. of this, so don't, mis- don't, yeah, yeah. don't take my point the wrong way. No. I'm not saying this is a great romance yeah. or a beautiful love story. <laughs> I don't think it is. Yeah. I think it's a powerful story about a woman determined to be herself and express her essence and... and her selfhood in whatever situation she's in. But, you know, it does have the exterior trappings of a, of a weird Gothic romantic kind of romance novel or something like that. But I don't think that's what makes it the powerful film. I think it is. Yeah. I don't know. It must be so strange to have seen it as a teenager and then see it now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like through the eyes of a younger person, when you don't have the context of all that's at stake, you know, every day, I mean, like I was completely unaware. I mean, like, of. I mean, I listened to the news. I was aware of the world, but I didn't understand what it all meant. Yeah. You know, I didn't understand that there are people dying and that there are people suffering and that people have to make choices that are going to, you know hurt people or hurt themselves or, you know, and, and what that actually means. And like the power and the ability to make decisions to make your life better, what a privilege that is. You know, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that, that the ability to have choices even is a privilege, you know? So, um, it's, it's very different to watch a film that has such, emotional depth and um and really explores consequences in a way that that not every film does you know and and you know how you know powerful emotions can can you know change (laughs) I, i i don't know so yeah it's it's very different to go back and watch something like this now than whereas like I love Paper Moon but like <laughs> I I doubt that the the meaning behind Paper Moon would shift too much in the <laughs> you don't think uh, it's you'd see it now as a parable about colonialism or anything? <laughs> probably I mean well I mean it is said during the depression so there's that all it's that definitely about capitalism I mean uh, it's funny to think about how like so much of the way that we see the world is shaped by this 
I mean, like, that's why, like, when when someone who makes a fantastic movie yeah. is a fantastic filmmaker like Jan Campion says that their work isn't political. But the thing is, this nothing that we produce well, in a society to- that we were raised in can be apolitical. It all is, you know, Look. like, when you think about, you know how people are situated in society that's political it's economic it's you know you can't make a film that's apolitical because the thing is even if you decided to make an apolitical film once you release it in the world people are going to take it however they freaking want to take it and so like the politics are going to be evident and people are going to dissect it that's why you have to take with a grain of salt what the directors say in interviews (laughs) i know (laughs) Because if she says something like that, it's probably because she wants this movie to not be talked about only as a political film. Yeah. That, but ultimately, what we have is the film that we have, yeah. right? We see it. It's ours now. And we get to... If it's got politics in it, we're going to call it out. It's there, right? Well, it's, it's there. like if you tell a woman's story, of course, we're going to talk about it through a feminist lens. Because of our society, the way it's structured, we need to d- discuss it in that way. And, you know, if you have, you know evidence in your film of uh, indigenous peoples being um, uh, exploited, then people are going to talk about that because that's an important aspect that needs to be discussed. Well, this just is a feminist film, whether whether or not (laughs) that's the intention. I think it it is on, on some level. Well, I mean, we've talked about, we've talked a lot about what the movie means and about the story and about the character and this the transactional relationships and the role of Ada and women and what is her lot in life and all of that. But we haven't really said much about like the film. I mean, Jane Campion as a film director and what it is to experience this movie and how she tells this story. And it's awful to try and do this in two minutes or something, but I just think it's a really beautiful oh, film. Beautiful. And, and I can't think of very many movies that, through camera angle and light and the soundtrack can convey the level of yearning and sorrow that is in some of the images of of this film. Ada on the clifftop looking down at the piano left on the beach and the camera kind of just behind her and we hear that that song, the the haunting song. Yeah. I keep calling it the haunting song, <laughs> which we hear when she's thinking about it. We know what she's thinking about. We can see it. We can see her pain. Um, and then, like, the sense of place in this movie, this yeah. this world, in each 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 of these strange fragments, these you're talking about the th- sort of three or four different realms of of the world we see, like shot completely different. You know yeah. that beach that's all gray and 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 the soundtrack of the waves pounding on the surf, and it's kind of rainy. And and then you have like when we cut to the the jungle after that, it's like I don't know if they they intentionally have the filter the daylight filter off or or what or like the the so it's like blue green and like dark like it's mm. like the blues and the greens are like completely out of natural proportion and it's just this yeah. kind of strange magical dark mesmerizing blue green jungle as they're tramping through the mud and yeah. stuff like that it's just it's like I don't know. It's like poetry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whether you can get on board with Baines and Ada, I don't. I just think she's amazing. Camp Jane Campion's amazing. Yeah, it is a beautifully shot film. I I mean, like, 
I love the, you know, the opening shot where we come in. I think the opening shot is like a lot of them are like below the water. We're seeing the boat sort of. Well, the opening shot is behind her fingers, which is strange for the opening of a movie is this blurry shot of her peeking out with the an extreme close up of her hands over the camera lens as if she's looking her eyes peering through. Her, her fingers and kind yeah. of doing a trick as she's sitting there. But it seems like just after that, there's a shot of the, like sort of like the prow of the boat under the mm-hmm. water. Yeah. And, and the sort of sort of sense of arrival and that gorgeous, gorgeous beach, you know, with the and there's that beautiful scene where it's like dawn and they have the light under the petticoat. You mm-hmm. know, on the on the sort of the like one brightness on this like gray beach. You know, interesting how the same locale and the same beach can have two different, like such different polar opposites in feeling too. Because when Baines takes Ada and Flora to the beach, then it's this joyful place where you have Anna Paquin doing that ballet with the seaweed as her mother's playing the piano, (laughs) and it's so ethereal and beautiful. And And there's still that melancholy attached to it, though. I mean, like, there's that sort of sad undercurrent that's there, you know. There's Uh, so many shots in this film that's it's, like, on their own as, like, a painting or, like, some just, like, the image is so stark. And another one that stands out to me is the moment, is the the scene where Anna Paquin runs to give the piano key to, um, to Stuart. And it's an extreme long shot uh, wide shot of like the silhouette of the hills with yeah. a big dip in it and you just see the tiny little Anna oh, Paquin yeah, running, running down along the edges down yeah, and into the dip shot. and up like it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's like something I don't know it's yeah it's great or he's building the fence t- for we don't know why <laughs> yeah it's 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 really beautifully shot um So how do you come away from this movie? Is it is it just kind of ultimately sort of problematic and like no, are you wrestling I, with I it or like it's well? So I'll just say that today, I mean, like I read a bunch of. I was just curious about like how people felt about. So I found a pretty good article that discusses sort of the the. Um, it's an analysis of like how the Maori people um, are depicted in the film and, and like, you know, what people think about it being like, so it's placed in a historical context, but not given the details to sort of figure out like where exactly in time we are and where exactly in New Zealand we are. And so like for a, a lot of people, like, I mean, like, there's some concern that the that the violence particip- you know acted upon the Maori people is sort of like whitewashed in a way in this particular film and so that kind of like shaped how I was and it, it, it was a the critic who was writing was a feminist critic so she was examining the sort of feminist aspects of that and comparing it to the sort of you know, <clears throat> and that that you know it's it's hard to discuss it shouldn't be but it's for some reason it's hard to when you when you make a choice to focus on one aspect of that kind of story then naturally this the other aspect falls away so this isn't a story about how the maori people were treated 
but in centering the white female character, you lose the sort of context that you would, you know, and it's hard. I mean, like, it's hard to balance that, you know. So, I I mean, like, that sort of, like, shaped some of my thinking about this today, because I just read that. Um, I I, So, if this (laughs) were a book, like, it's, I don't, I think part of what we're sensing, there's a lack of specificity to it, because I think it is intended more like, like a bluebeard sort of fable. I mean, I think it's given, like, there's a, it's more like, it's almost like, it's a metaphor or it's like, let's, let's, let's take this piano as the metaphor for this, for this woman's voice in a repressive society, but then take it literally and and build a story around it. But it's building the story about Ada and her subjective experience and not telling the story of the world that it's in. The world is in a way the kind of the bare minimum is there to give it sort of the, the dressing of mid 19th century New Zealand, but it's not trying to tell a story about what mid new, new, new mid century New Zealand is actually like. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it does have this quality of being uh, a, a fairy tale makes it sound lighter than it is, but yeah. like a dark fable yeah. of some kind, a story book kind of thing. I don't know. It has, it resonates in that way with me. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, I definitely agree with heightened with that. emotions and this ultimately the focus on her subjectivity and yeah. the, the piano is, seems to mean everything <laughs> and nothing. I mean, it's like yeah. too much hanging on the piano. So at a certain point you have to go, well, it is just, it is also you just a piano. The Sometimes the piano is a piano. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I know it's more than that because it's trying to be both at the same yeah. time. It's like a huge weighty symbol, but it's also just a piano. So yeah <laughs> but that's interesting i i actually i really didn't do any outside reading because yeah. i figured there would be 30 years of essays and takes on it oh, in, yeah. a, in a way that i i kind of just wanted to bounce off how was i how was i experiencing it after being away from it for 20 years well i mean so now well, i'm interested to go yeah. and read about it and i want to look at all the extras on the dvd and 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 that kind of thing well so I wanted to say, in a sense, any time that you choose an angle that you take on a story, I mean, like, that's, I mean, that's the craft of movie making. It's the craft of story writing is that you have to choose an angle. You can't just, I mean, like, unless you're writing the rise in the, well, except it doesn't matter because as a person, when you write something, you're going to come at it from some angle. If you're making a documentary, <laughs> you're coming at it from an angle yeah, and so, imposing a view of it. So, I mean, like, but, but the thing is, is when you focus on one particular story, like the surrounding characters that are not named and you make decisions about who's translated and why they're translated and what's important to translate and that sort of thing, all those, all those decisions are going to mean that probably those side characters are going to be flatter. They're going to be more like pastiche. They're going to be more stereotypical. And that you know, in our modern society is going to read differently than it did even in 1994. Do you think is, do you think a feminist film like this is held up to a higher standard because it's already trying to look at the, the role of, of the woman in this situation? I I, I think that's a dangerous path to go down. I mean, like, I don't doubt that, 
I mean, why don't we have this conversation about all movies? That's that's true. I mean, and and you know, we should and 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 that's <laughs> I mean, like I feel like that's a dangerous path to go down because And I'm not stating that. Yeah. I'm just putting the I'm just kind of putting a question out there as like So, I mean, like What is it about funny. this movie in particular that when you get into like the politics of like who's suffered more under the oppressive regimes that we have in place. I mean, like to me, there's, there's no question about that. And as you know, a white woman, so is the concern myself, I, I know that, that, you know, I'm simultaneously a member of an oppressed group but also the most privileged beyond white men, you know? So, and that when white women center themselves in feminism, then we lose all the facets that, you know, I mean, and that's the point of intersectional uh, feminism is to focus more on, the complete spectrum of what it means to be femme and a woman in the culture and society that we've developed. And like, the thing is that, that once you become aware of that and like, I mean, the thing is, is in 1993, we weren't even aware. I mean, like white women, other women were white women weren't even as aware as we are now. And a lot of us are still clueless about this sort of thing. But, you know, the thing is, is, like, I feel like once you become aware of these things, you can't, like, not be aware of it anymore and that you have to, like, call it out and and demand better. And, you know, that sort of (laughs) that sort of thing. And like and then, you know, acknowledge that that you can tell an important, powerful story about um, about, you know, how women have been oppressed and those are, they're going to be important, but people, when you focus that on a specific white woman, you're still going to have, you know, this like, well, you know, this disassembling of stuff. But I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird, but like once you start seeing these things, you start calling it out. And I guess it's easier for you to see it when it's, you know, this protagonist is like me in, in many ways, you know, willful, strong minded, you know, I identify with this character a lot, you know, so, so, but then I, because, because of that, I have to start sort of whittling away at my own biases and prejudices and viewpoint and, and see, so I, I, am I more likely to criticize a film like this Probably because the character is like me in a lot of ways. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> hmm. and I feel like I should do that. I feel like it's important to do that. You know, it's, it's part of self-reflection. It's part of, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, like, I don't want to say that I, I loved this film. I, I, I love it. I love the imagery. I love it. The music just like is amazing. The story is very powerful but like i feel like i can't let myself just be with that because i f- i identify so strongly with the female character that i need to to investigate that more i guess you know hmm. fair enough yeah
I don't really have a response to all that. <laughs> yeah. Except what... <laughs> I'm glad that uh, there are films like this that yeah. you can get into and peel apart layer after layer and grapple with and struggle with and see, you know, the beauty and merits of and the, the uniqueness of it, but also see the elements that could be problematic or that might have been explored in different ways. In the way, whenever you see a film, you also have to wrestle with the other possible films it could have been, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, to make a comparison, like, I have always identified strongly with the sort of, the I, I love a good strong-minded woman story. My first experience with that was probably Gone with the Wind. So, like, that is, like, super problematic. I mean, it was then. It's super problematic now that we're aware of yeah. all the problems that that there always was with that particular narrative. But like, I mean, does, does that movie's place in my life, you know, does, is what it gave me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I mean, I'm not comparing the piano to the, this is a much more I know progressive, forward-thinking forward story. Not, but, not, I know that's not what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's this. This story is is super important to tell, and I hope that there's more. And I know there are more stories being like told, like this portrait of a woman on fire is very similar to this in a lot of ways. You know, so I mean, like, I feel like having women at the helm directing films showing telling these kind of stories like we can only get better through the sort of experience of these and like you know whatever mistakes there are we can learn from those mistakes hopefully and make something that's you know inclusive well, and why tells- do we why do we have to focus on the mistakes <laughs> why do movies have to be perfect what what is it i mean this was the she was the first woman to win the palm door at Cannes yeah. for this film i mean this is a great achievement it's a it's an it's an excellent film well i think that i don't know why we have to give it all of these qualifications <laughs> along the side no it doesn't have any qualifications i'm i'm know, not i'm not saying it's that it's too does. bad it's not as good as it could be or <laughs> no, that is not, not perfect that's not that's not what i'm saying <laughs> i feel like i'm being misinterpreted here no but I mean, I think that you know that, I mean, like, one of my talents in this world is to see the gray in things and that that yeah. that nothing is bad and nothing is good and, you know, it's only just, I mean, like, art is just expression. I mean, it's not just expression. It's expression. It's, it arises from its time, but it's an expression of one person's point of view. So, I mean, like... But but the asking these questions and pointing out these they're not mistakes they're blind spots maybe mm-hmm. is the word yeah um is means that the next generation of of people who are making art will be aware of those blind spots and be able to comment on them and that sort of thing is is powerful toward to moving our society towards better things Hopefully. So, I mean, like, I just, I just can't, 
I can't just look at a movie by itself because it's a product of the culture that it created it, you know? Yeah, of course it is. You know, so, so, I mean, like, but that doesn't affect my ability to enjoy something as a piece of art, you know, even, even if the person who created it is terrible. And in this case, we're not talking about that. Let's not get into that on this show. But, (laughs) but I, I, I don't know. To me, it's part of enjoying film to dissect it in that way and to, it helps you understand your world better. It's part of the power. Well, this is a strength and a viewpoint that you have that I don't have so much of, yeah. and that you are helping me to cultivate because I'm much more. I have more of a tunnel vision when yeah. it comes to a film, and I'm kind of seeing the film. Yeah, I'm seeing the work itself, and I like. I feel that I get very immersed in the actual film that I'm seeing in the yeah. artwork and everything that it actually is what we're seeing yeah. the way it's shot and photographed and edited and acted the script the dialogue and then beyond that the outer context that I usually see is more often going to be its connection to film history yeah. and other like similar films and different films and sort of where it sits you know and where does it sit in you know, 90s independent film or global film and and films by women and film in the world at this point, you know, those are the connections I'm seeing. And, and I'm just like, such a baby political person (laughs) in a way that I don't even like, it's only in the last few years that I've really started to, I don't know, And I think that because of the internet, that because internet, um, things are more interconnected in a way. And actually, you know, they were always interconnected in a way, but it was more below the surface. But like, I mean, like you can put an innocent. So, so for an example, (laughs) um, I was hearing all these terrible stories, um, last fall about, how people were being terrible to um, customer service employees. And I, I've, you know, many of us have worked as customer service employees in our lives. And so like I posted on Reddit, you know, while you're out buying your Thanksgiving groceries, be nice to the grocery store people because it sucks when people are shitty to you when you're, you know, there for 12 hours cutting deli meat for, you know, grumpy people. That sucks. You know, be nice to people. And, like, it's interesting the level of different responses I got from what was, like, a kindly meant thing. And, like, you know, some people were like, oh, you're virtual signaling. And people, some people were like, oh, yeah, be nice to people. And then there were some people who were customer service employees that were like, yes, please be nice to us. Uh, you know, it's been a shitty week. You know, it's just the variety of of reactions that come up from what seems like so, so essentially, you know, whenever you create something, it's sort of, it's not yours anymore. It's the world to comment on. And, no, and you it's, know. <laughs> it's two million different interpretations yeah. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because everybody's different. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's important to look at both. I, I think it's both important to look inwards at what you feel and how the film affects you. But I also think it's important to look outwards and see what waves or ripples it's making in the wider society or what it's, what the meaning of the film, what that's projecting outwards. And and those are different ways of looking at a film, but I think they're equally important, you know, 
but I mean, like there's some films like you watch them and they become a part of you and you're like, well, this is like, I don't care what anybody else says about, you know, the labyrinth or whatever. That is such a fundamental part of me that it doesn't matter what other people say about it. You know, (laughs) well, I mean, the labyrinth is a bad example. It's not that (laughs) big of a deal to me, but, um, um, although David Bowie is quite good. Um, (laughs) um, yeah. So I, anyway, I just, I think that they're both important and, um, that I, yeah, I don't know if it's a talent of mine or just something that I enjoy doing is that I like, I like delving into all of that and, and, and feeling all of those things and, and all of that. It's important to me for the film experience. Yeah. And with that, we're going to sign <laughs> off because we're at 95 minutes. This is the longest <laughs> podcast we've ever done. Jane we Campion. always say that. <laughs> well, because that the previous time we said that was the longest podcast that okay. we've ever done. This is the actual longest podcast we've ever done. So we hope you uh, have enjoyed traveling to uh, remote New Zealand with us to discuss the piano and to uh, I hope see for the first time if you've never seen it or get reacquainted with if it's been a long time it's sort of the 30th anniversary or maybe 30 just about I guess I think it was produced in 92 it may come out somewhere in 92 Um, it's definitely worth seeing and encountering and grappling with and just surrendering to in some ways Um, do you have any last Thoughts, sentiments, um, protestations. You know, if you ever have the opportunity to lay under a piano while somebody plays the piano theme, um, highly recommend. Five stars. Oh. <laughs> In a way, you are reenacting an inappropriate scene from the film. Yeah, I didn't touch his legs. Okay, that was fine. weird, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back someday, somewhere, with some other kind of movie. It'll be Ashley's choice next yes. time. And we'll go on another journey together. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Bye. Bye.